It's good to see you all here this morning, this Easter morning. Christ is risen. He is risen I grew up in a church that said that, and my wife did not. So it's strange to her every time that is said, but she is encouraged with that. Well, this past week at Rock Valley Bible Church, we have uh, been focusing our attention on Passion Week, um, Matthew 22 through 28. And the Passion Week is the, the, the week of suffering of Christ. From Palm Sunday through this morning, Resurrection Sunday. And our our attention has been given to Matthew's account. And there are eight days in that Passion Week, starting on Sunday, ending up on Sunday. And so one of the things I I challenged you all with was a a little family Bible reading. How many of you involved actually did that this week, tried to do that? Some of it. That's kind of what, what we did. I kind of just gave you direction, and this morning is, is Sunday morning, and uh, we started last Sunday morning in, in Palm Sunday. I'm, I'm feeling like really loud, just to let you know, guys, so that would, that would help. I feel like I can, they're going to hear me down there, um, next, next church over. Um, but uh, we started Palm Sunday last Sunday, uh, Matthew chapter 21, Jesus riding to Jerusalem on a donkey, proclaimed by the crowds to be the Messiah. And what began in triumph then soon led to conflict as the religious leaders wanted nothing to do with Jesus. In chapter 22, we see him questioning Jesus, coming to him with some tricky questions, not for information or answers, but more for uh, trying to trap him and trying to, to trick him. Jesus turned the table so no one dared ask him any more questions. Then in Matthew 23... It was so far gone that Jesus cursed the hypocrites, the scribes, and the Pharisees. They looked good on the outside, but were corrupt to the core on the inside. And they wanted to play this religious game rather than being real and honest and open about their their sin and their struggles. In Matthew 24 and 25, we see Jesus telling his disciples about the things to come. And uh, the message is that, that Christ is going to return and set all matters straight. So be ready, is what he told his disciples. And then Friday, two days ago, we we went through the account of the crucifixion of Christ, chapter 26 and 27. We saw Jesus celebrate the Passover for the last time with his disciples, never to celebrate it again, and thereby instituting the first Lord's Supper. And then we saw the, the betrayal of Judas, the praying in Gethsemane, the unjust trials, condemning him to death, beating of Jesus, his crucifixion, and as we left Friday night, we left him in the tomb. But the story of Jesus doesn't end in the tomb, it ends in triumph. As we've been celebrating today the resurrection, my message this morning is entitled Passion Week, Resurrection Sunday. And um, I think we'll get through all of chapter 28. Um, we'll see if the Lord helps me to gauge my time here. I got so much from this passage, it's really good. Let's, let's read this whole passage together. Matthew writes, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they come up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there you will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with all the elders and council, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews until this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, this is such a a rich text which tells an old familiar story. Here at Easter, it's a bit like Christmas. God, we know the story well, but I I pray as we just work through these verses and and I seek to just open them up, I I pray, oh God, that they would be uh, used of you to stir hearts afresh in the, the glories of the resurrection, whereupon our faith lies. Our faith lies in Jesus Christ, the God-man who came to earth in flesh and blood and lived among us and lived a perfect life and died an unjust death for our sins that we might be justified. And he was raised, O God, for our justification. And in that, O Lord, we do rejoice. I pray that you would help us to see the, the simple narrative. God, come to life again as we see it and we think about it. We work our way through it. So help us, oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 1, we encounter the two women. We encounter Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Um, These were the same women who were with Jesus at his burial. You can look back at verse 61 of, of Matthew 27. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. So they saw the tomb where Jesus was laid. They're there. They're there. These Marys were the faithful. In fact, you can call them, I refer to them as the Marys, is who they were. And by way of outline, I am calling them the first responders. These are the ones who saw Jesus first and responded to his resurrection. Now, once the Marys left the tomb on Friday night, surely they returned to their home and and prepared their final preparations for the Passover celebration because they were out all day watching Jesus die, encouraging him and his, his death. And the, his death, would, his Passover would begin at sundown. 
And they'd spent, certainly they spent the home in the Passover not wanting to walk and get out and work, walk that distance to the grave on the Sabbath day. But the moment was Sabbath was over, the moment it began to dawn, they went to the tomb. It says toward the dawn of the first day, just, just right when it was coming, first opportunity they had, they went to see the body of Jesus. And they came to the tomb in, a, in an act of devotion. They were paying their last respects to their loved teacher whom they loved. They're looking for the body of, of Jesus, bringing spices, Mark tells us, and coming to the tomb to anoint him. And although Joseph and Arimathea and Nicodemus had initially anointed the body of Jesus, because they knew a couple days in the tomb would make it smell, these Marys were, were bringing more spices to, to finish that job of, of anointing the, the body so it might decay there in, in the tomb and not stink too badly. And yet we know the Lord had promised not to allow His Holy One to own decay. decay. And these women didn't believe that, didn't understand it. Um, but when they came to the scene, some light started dawning. They didn't find what they were expecting to see. They were expecting to see a grave with a giant round stone weighing, weighing half a ton rolled against the, the opening of the door. In fact, Mark's account says that along the way they were talking about how are we going to get that stone out of the way. Just two women. And obviously two women were not enough to roll that stone. They, they needed someone else to be able to roll that stone. Perhaps they were hoping for the gardener or the cemetery to be around or, or maybe someone else to be around to help roll the stone away so they get at the body and prepare for, for burial. Well, a, a few surprises were in store for them. First of all, the, the stone was rolled back. Look at verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And the stone basically rolled over the, the entrance of the tomb and it was, it was rolled back or, or shaken or off its track. We don't, we don't exactly know, but there, seated on that stone was a second surprise, was, was this angel whose appearance, as it says in verse 3, was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and he was seated right on top of that stone. And according to verse 2, we see the angel move that stone away and there's an earthquake. At the same time, maybe the earthquake helped him in that, but no doubt the angel was strong enough to move that stone by himself. At any rate, his appearance stunned the guards. Verse 4 tells us, For fear of him, that is fear of this angelic angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. That is, you might say, they were scared stiff. They like frozen. They, they couldn't act. And here were military men in shock. Maybe they fainted to the ground. Maybe they just didn't know how to respond or, or how to act. Terrified. Completely understandable because they'd never seen such an appearance of an angel before. Now come October, many people like to dress up as scary ghouls and demons and, and um, different sorts of skeletons and ghosts. Costumes real dark and frightening. Well, this costume was not frightening because it was dark. It's frightening because it was so bright. It was like lightning flashing forth from this being. What an amazing image they saw. Likewise, they were terrified. The angel tried to calm them down. Do not be afraid, the angel said, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Far easier said than done. 
One thing you simply don't encounter every day is angels. And angels that are flashing forth brilliant light. And these words came as as comfort to these women. I I know what you've come for. You've come to seek Jesus. So so it demonstrated that the guards had no idea what was happening. but, But the fact that this angel knew what was happening in the lives of the Marys comforted them. And I don't think it was that the angel was omniscient to know this. I think that it doesn't take brain surgeon to understand, right? If you're bringing along a, a spices and you're coming to a tomb, you're coming to anoint the body. You're coming to anoint the body of Jesus is, is why he's there. But he said he is no longer there. The angel continued on in verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. And how easily this could have, words could have come with condemnation. Remember when Jesus was walking on that road to Emmaus and he said, How foolish you are not to believe everything. You know, I'm not sure these words came as, as condemnation, but I think they came as, as comforting words. He knew what was happening to them, and he knew what, was, what took place with Jesus. They knew where the body was, and he said, He is risen. Come and see the place where he lay. The angel at this point probably stepped aside. Maybe he entered um, into the tomb itself as a tour guide. Let me show you everything that I have seen. And he brought the women in and he said, here, isn't, this is right where we laid Jesus. But alas, Jesus isn't there. All, all, all you see is that his, his grave clothes are there. That's all you see. There he is. And so this angel who showed that, in fact, it was John who records that the linen wrappings were lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head but rolled up in a place all by itself. And I think there's a significance to that is that Jesus made his bed. Right, kids? This is good to, good to learn. Is that Jesus is one who, when he was resurrected, he, he set everything in order. Now, that'll get in later when people say that, oh, the body was stolen. If the body was stolen, you're not going to fold your grave clothes. Just nice, everything he was buried in him. But the angel then quickly uh, exhorted him, or exhorted them, these Marys, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee and there to see you, for I have told you. Now, what, what a privilege for these women. Think about this. These were the first women, first people in the world to see the empty tomb. But the only reason they saw the empty tomb is because they were faithful to Jesus and pursuing and following after him. And I just say this by way of application. The same is true for us. If you're seeking Jesus, you'll find him. Now, they didn't find him, but they, they got on the path of where he was going to be. But if you seek Christ, you will find him. The Lord promised Israel, you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's still true for us today. 2,000 years after the resurrection, you, you won't find him by just walking around. But you'll find him in the scriptures. You, you'll, you'll find him in the Bible. And you'll find him in the message that Christ came for sinners. He was crucified for sinners. You'll find him by faith. So just as these these women were looking for Jesus, I encourage you to look and seek. And you'll find Christ. And you'll find him by faith. We see in verse 8, these Marys being obedient to the angel's command. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. These women not only were, were, were looking for the body, they also obeyed quickly when they, 
they found out what was taking place. It was a response of faith. The angel had told them to go quickly, verse 7, and that's exactly what they did. They departed in haste. No delay. They knew there was an empty tomb. They knew that they had news to tell the disciples. And I think their heart was totally into it, where it says here that they ran to tell his disciples. Um, didn't walk, didn't go for a stroll. They ran. You just picture, right, two, two Hebrew women with their, their dresses or their shawls or whatever they had running alongside of the road. I think perhaps maybe the best thing is to pick two ladies here in the congregation. I'm not going to identify you, but just pick two ladies with dresses, kind of hightailing it out of here and just running along the streets, running up Alpine Road, finding the disciples. It may not have been the most culture dignified thing to do, a ladylike thing to do, but I don't think they cared because they had great news that they wanted to tell and they wanted to tell their disciples. And I'm sure as their body was running along, I'm sure their mind was running just as fast, like thinking through where, where is this body? He, he has risen. Didn't he say some things about that? Right? The, Jesus had predicted his resurrection several times to the disciples and, and they'd probably told these women because they were intricately connected with their lives and they knew about what was going on. And, and could it be, could he really be, be raised from the dead? And, and their hearts, it says, were, were filled with fear, but they also had, had great joy. I think fearful because they didn't quite know what to expect, but great joy because the tomb was, was empty and so there was great hope there. And joyful because their, their hope in Jesus wasn't lost. Whereas Friday, it seemed like all was lost. And here was Sunday, and it's just the, the transition to the time in which they said, oh, this is hope realized. This is joy, and, but, it, but it's not fully there yet. They're going to tell his disciples that Jesus was risen from the dead, and as they're running, they ran into an old friend. Look at verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. <laughs> what an understatement of the year. What a shock. To these women, they'd begun the day having, having thoughts about burying Jesus. And then, and then, and then they say that the, he's risen from the dead. But he, catch this, they didn't know if that meant risen from the dead up in heaven. Like now he is, is with Christ or risen from the dead never to come back again. They didn't know, but now they ran into Jesus. Here he was in flesh and blood. And, and, and as they, they think about the reactions of that, I mean, the best thing I, I can think of is this time when I was going to seminary in Los Angeles, and a friend of mine was driving his car out to Illinois. And so in exchange for a plane ticket, he said, can I have another driver? In other words, right, can I help drive him out, and we can share the driving load, and when I get out there, he's going to buy a plane ticket so I can fly back home. And so unannounced to my, my family, I took off. I, I can't remember what night. I think it was a Friday at night, Friday evening after work. I think we we drove into the night and got a hotel and then drove all day Saturday and through Sunday. And we finally got home. I, I remember about 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon because I was excited to go to church for Sunday evening service uh, at that time. And I remember I just walked in the door and I said, hello, anybody home? And um, they were shocked. They're like, what? What? How is this kind of kind of confused and, and kind of in a in a daze? That's, no, Steve, you're in California, right? How? How are you here? That that's how, how does that work? You know, and just just this fear and this joy about explaining everything that's going to happen, and and um, I think as reality sunk in, there were hugs and kisses, and eager to hear my story of driving across the country, and and in some regards, 
They were these similar things. Jesus, I thought you were dead, but now you're alive. But now you're, but now you're here. And, and in verse 9, we see the responses of the Marys. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. I mean, the emotions at this point must have just been simply overwhelming within them. Must have been tears of joy, a, a sense of reality that Jesus was everything that he taught us for the past several years is totally true because here he is. He is risen. He is alive. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He has conquered death. In this moment, really, worship was the only response to the risen Lord. Down at his feet. That's the idea you get in verse 9 is that they were prostrate on the ground, grabbing his feet, giving glory and honor to him as the Lamb of God. And in John's account, we see that, that it took some time. It wasn't just a quick embrace. It wasn't just a quick hug. It, wasn't, it, was, it was prolonged. And, and Jesus is the one who had to cut the time short because he said, Stop clinging to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. He says, i got to go. Right? Now I can't, we can't spend it. I, I doubt that the Marys would ever have cut that time short because here they were in the presence of the Lord that they loved. And and I just say also with worship, that's how it ought to be with us. We ought to so enjoy the moment we don't want it to end. But finally, when Jesus was able to free himself, he gave instructions to the women what to do next. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. I don't think it was too pleasing for the women to say goodbye to Jesus as quickly as they had said hello and, and seen him. I, I think they wanted to continue to worship him. But off they went. They obeyed. Those are the first responders to the resurrected Christ. Now let's look at the first deniers. Verses 11 through 15. In verse 11 we read this. And while they were going, that is while the Marys were leaving... Um, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Okay, so you can imagine the scene, right? Whole scenarios playing out before the guards and before the women, and they're seeing this. And, and the women are going off this direction to the disciples, and the guards are going off this direction to the chief priests to explain this amazing thing that, that happened. So two reports go out. One of the Marys and one of the guards. And basically here in verse 11, we're tracking the report that was said to, uh, to the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees and the scribes. It says there, and, and we read in, 20, in Matthew 27, it's good here, about the context, about why the guards were there even in the first place. See, the Jews were troubled at the events surrounding the death of Jesus. And, and they thought through this scenario that, that caused them must much fear and much angst. They, they were feared that the disciples might pull off a fake resurrection. I mean, fake news is all the thing today, but this would be a fake resurrection. Like, like, like stage it. Uh, I've been reading through um, some Mark Twain books with David, and it's a little bit like Tom Sawyer when he staged his death. Remember, he, he went off, and he was like off on the island, and they tried to pull up his body, they didn't, and so he walked in on his own funeral. That's like a a fake death. Here's a, a fake resurrection they're trying to, they're trying to do. And so the, the conversation between the chief priests and the Pharisees went like this. Chapter 27, verse 63. They said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, 
After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, because the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. And so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now there's some uncertainty who this guard is, whether it was a Jewish policeman or whether it was Roman guards underneath the control of the Jews to kind of help keep the peace among the Jews. We don't know. There was Jews that would work on the Sabbath, guard the tomb on the Sabbath. The Romans wouldn't have scruples about that. So, so we don't know. There's uncertainty as well as so the number of guards. Based upon ancient history, a guard is normally 16 soldiers. So there may have been 16 soldiers here. We know that there were at least three, because we read in verse 11, that some of the guard went into the city. So that's, that's some of, of who they were. And presumably, maybe some stayed behind. It wasn't all the guard. I think at least three soldiers, and they had to go and report to their superior officers that they had failed in the task. That's something that no officer would want to do. Is that right, Andy? You'd never want to do that to your superior officer, sir. I failed in my, my task. But listen, can, can, can you think about what he would have said? Sirs. We know that you gave us an assignment to guard the tomb of a dead man. You gave us enough men to guard the tomb under normal circumstances, but these were not normal circumstances. For the most part, all was quiet, especially the Sabbath day. All laid low. During the Sabbath, not a soul came to the tomb. But, but then, just as our watch was ending and the sun was rising, there was this great earthquake which grabbed all of our attention. And soon we saw this bright light from heaven and descend upon the tomb and and none of us ever claimed to see an angel before, but here we must have seen an angel. He was brilliant in flashing white, and he came down, rolled away the stone, and he sat right there upon the stone as if to declare victory, like, I have conquered. And I know that we're soldiers trained to fight, but this is different. We've never seen such a creature before. We did not feel like we were enabled to fight this battle with this being we, we didn't know what to do, and almost immediately as that was done, we saw some, some women coming to the tomb carrying spices, and the angel spoke to her saying, Do not be afraid. I know you are seeking Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he lay. And these women looked in the tomb, what was inside. They even stepped in a little bit, and when they came out, their face was unforgettable. They seemed a bit stunned. They seemed happy, and yet... Confused and afraid, and, and they turned, they turned and to run away. And, and when they left, so did the angels. And, and after a few seconds, we, we talked and looked inside to see what was inside, and the body was gone. That body you'd given us to protect was, was gone. We didn't, we didn't know what to do. We, we left some of our squatter at the tomb. We come to tell you what we saw and experienced. This is testimony of what we have to do. What should we do, sir? Well, that was a big question. And so they took a big council. If you look at verse 12, they assembled with the elders and taken counsel together. And this council would have been similar to the council that convened just a few days before when they, when they decreed that Jesus should die. 
And this was another crisis time for this council. Their worst nightmare had come true. They feared that the disciples would come and take away the body and, and claim this resurrection and say he was, he's alive. But more than that, I think it's not the disciples because they heard no report about the disciples. They knew the, the guards no match for the disciples. What their greatest fear was was what they quoted in verse 63 of chapter 27, that after three days I'm going to rise again. Like, like indeed, Jesus was risen. And they tried to prevent every possibility of this taking place by assigning guard over the tomb. And, and, and now the tomb was empty. And I'm sure at this council they were receiving testimony of the guards, several of them giving testimony. And upon cross-examination, I think they would have found the story completely verified by all the guards, exactly what took place. And, and they knew that there was no reason for these soldiers to lie about these things. It's all the facts lined up. The, there was an earthquake in the city and it was felt out in the city that had come to the tomb as well. Um, there was eyewitness reports of seeing a bright light descend from heaven. And, and even on top of that, they knew something strange was happening because these people, Matthew 27, were, were even raised from the dead who were in the tombs. That strange occurrence of, of what was talked about in chapter 27 when, when Jesus died, verse 52, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were, were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. They went into the holy city, appeared to many. So th- these people were going around and these people were dead, but now they are alive. And, and what's going to happen? They, they had to ask fa- act fast. And so the best they could do is come up with a bribe. If you look again at verse 12, when they assembled with the elders... And taking counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they told them to lie. Verse 13. Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Well, it must have taken a lot of money for the soldiers to be bribed to tell that story. Soldiers are paid to keep their post. They are trained to keep their post. They are trained to keep their post unto death. If anyone would come against them, the, the chance of them falling asleep was slim to none and slim left town because they, they knew that they would face death if they didn't fulfill their duty. And these guards, furthermore, were given one task to perform, guard one door, one place. You know, in all security situations, if the security task is very small, the job is easy. But if it's large, it's difficult. Okay? Protect the president. I mean, that's, that's a big job, but, but it's relatively easy compared to protect the country from terrorists. That's, that's very difficult. But if you've got to guard a single door, you can do that. And this lie would have been difficult because even the disciples, to, to think and imagine these disciples who after Jesus died, they weren't even at his death and they had split town and, and Peter had even denied Jesus to this girl, different girl, three times. And they were away and timid. They, they were not known for bravery at this time. And, and to think about these disciples who were, were hiding away in a room, shut the door for fear of the Jews. <laughs> Basically, the guards were saying, yeah, these, these disciples, and they knew who they were. These disciples came and overpowered us. Yeah, we paid a lot of money to say that. They even suppose that they professed to be uh, asleep. When you roll one of these tombstones, when you roll one of these stones away, it's a thousand pounds. You ever seen guys move pianos? What do they do? <laughs> Lots of grunts every time that stone was rolled away. 
It was a stone. The tremors would have woken up the disciples. Carrying the body of Jesus out of the tomb. Not only the weight of Jesus, whatever he was, 150 pounds. Also, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had, had put some spices on it already to make him even heavier. And can you imagine them trying to carry away a body of 200 pounds, maybe 250, trying to take that away? You don't just carry something like that without making a noise either. And, and, and furthermore, the grave clothes left behind, if the, the, if the, if the disciples took away the body, the, the grave clothes were there, they'd have to lie about that as well. And, and then this lie also, you've got to deal by the character of the disciples. These were righteous men. Throughout the Testament, throughout the New Testament, you see their testimony. They're honorable men. For them to have stolen away the body and then to have hush hush this big conspiracy is totally against their character. In fact, in the early church, when people came to believe in Jesus, the unbelievers in Jerusalem held these people in high esteem, Acts 5.13, because of their righteous conduct. So this, this lie was a tough one to sell because it was so hard all these things, contrary, would have, would have, whatever, made the, the soldiers look really bad, made them look incompetent. But the lie was the best thing that they could do, the best solution they could come up with a, a little time. And it was a large sum of money, must have been a large sum of money for the, um, for the soldiers to have done this. And then we see in verse 14 the assurance. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. The soldiers knew that the high priests were influential people and uh, that they had an assurance here if the, the promise could be kept. If it comes to the governor's ears. Now, that's a big if. Like, it's not going to come to the governor's ears. He's the one that put to death Jesus. He's the one who declared that he was innocent. He's the one that wiped his hands and said, I am free of this charge. He's the one whose wife came to him that night and that day and said, have nothing to do with that righteous man. He knew all about what was going on. And then with all these people risen from the dead, walking about in the city, and then after Christ rose from the dead, 50 days later, you got Pentecost, thousands of people coming to faith in Christ and this Jesus, this new sect. And then you have several thousand coming a short time later. If it comes to the ear of the governor, certainly when it came to the ear of the, the governor, well, I think it, at some regard, I'm, I'm guessing the plan worked. Because verse 15 says this, They took money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews until this day. Now, most evangelical scholars place the writing of Jesus about 30 years after, the writing of Matthew, 30 years after Jesus died, so about 60 A.D. And we know that Justin Martyr, who was born 100 A.D., born some, whatever, 40 years later, and then, whatever, 20 years after that, when he's 20 or 30 years old, he made mention this theory was still circulating at his time, so this plan worked. But I trust you see the difficulties in this plan. To, to say his body was stolen, was have such a difficult time fitting into the facts surrounding the, the resurrection from the bravery of the, of the disciples that just simply wasn't there to the cowardness of the the guards, which wouldn't have been, or the noise, or the grave clothes, or the character. It, it would have been impossible for the disciples to have pulled this off. But the stolen body is only the first of theories to deny the, the resurrection. That's why I call these guys the first deniers. Because since those first deniers, there have been plenty more deniers 
in the life of the church. Many other people have come up with reasons why Jesus appeared to be resurrected. Some people say that Jesus didn't die. Called the swoon theory, meaning that he only fainted upon the cross. It just looked like he was dead. But when you think about what Jesus experienced and the beatings he took by the Roman cohort, having the crowns upon his head, being barely strong enough to to carry his cross, when having nails in his arms and in his feet, hanging for six hours, losing blood, being pierced in the side, those crucified him, right, were very aware of what death looks like. They had killed many people before, uh, executed them before, when Pilate said, uh, or when the, when the Jews, uh, um, whatever, when the day of preparation was at hand and the Jews asked Pilate to break the legs, they, they, they broke the legs of the soldiers so they would die quickly within minutes. Jesus, they didn't do that because he was already dead. They knew what death looked like. The executioners were all agreed Jesus was dead And they were willing to hand that body over to his friends. And then, think about this, right? Jesus had, whatever, 100 pounds of spices attached to his body, ripped all, and linen sheets. I mean, he would have been like a a, a mummy, face-covered, shroud. It's all all there. If he was alive, he couldn't have breathed. And then to be placed on a cold stone tablet, in a dark tomb, stone slab in a dark tomb, sealed placed outside. Right, maybe some air got in, but not enough. It, it just it would have been very difficult to say that Jesus didn't die. You'd, you'd have to believe all these things, that Jesus obtained enough, kept enough bodily fluids to live, that he was able to breathe through his wrappings in his body, that, that uh, the cold stone upon which he laid was not sapping the heat out of him enough and you'd have to believe he was able to free himself from his linen wrappings and one of the things I remember playing when the kids were little we would we would put them on the floor and we'd roll them up in a rug or something and, and they'd be like this and they couldn't get out he's kind of you're up you're up and then maybe they rolled out but if you roll it right and then you put up the wall just right then they're kind of trapped and Jesus very much was trapped you'd believe that he, he could recover enough to give his disciples this great hope of this message that transformed their lives. And the disciples right, went, went from seeing Jesus rise from the dead, proclaiming the power of the resurrection to anyone who would listen. You've got to explain that power if they're the ones who denied a weak, sickly, feeble man would, would not have turned them so. No, Jesus died. So some say, okay, well, well, Jesus died, but they put his body in the wrong tomb, in another tomb. See, the, the women were so distressed that they just couldn't find the, the right tomb. See, there are many tombs around Jerusalem and maybe went to the wrong one. Well, in chapter 27, verse 61, we see the Marys were sitting opposite the grave. Surely they knew where Jesus was laid to rest. Furthermore, when they placed a seal upon the, the grave, surely the Roman soldiers knew which tomb Jesus was, was buried in. But to think about saying that he was buried in the wrong tomb or they went to the wrong tomb means the women went to the wrong tomb. Peter and John ran to the wrong tomb. The soldiers were guarding the wrong tomb for several days. That Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went to the wrong tomb later. The entire Jewish council went to the wrong tomb. The Romans went to the wrong tomb. The angel appeared at the wrong tomb. 
And to believe this theory, you need to believe the whole world went to the wrong tomb. For all it would take is one person going to the right tomb, bringing out a body, and that would have solved that problem. It's, it, these theories are just so difficult to believe. In fact, it's always more difficult to believe all these people conspiring together to this than it is just simply to realize the facts. It's a miraculous sort of deal. So, some say that Jesus resurrected only in the minds of the apostles, or the disciples. Maybe you're familiar with Calvin and Hobbes. You guys, you kids know Calvin and Hobbes? I, you like Calvin and Hobbes, all right? You got Calvin, and then you got Hobbes. Now, is Hobbes real? No. No. But in the frames where it's only Calvin and Hobbes, does Hobbes look real? Very much so, right? But as soon as the parent comes along, Hobbes like, whoa, nope, he's, he's a limp doll is, is all that he is. And, and people say, well, in some sense, Hobbes is real. In the same way that Jesus, well, he rose from the dead in the minds of the disciples. That explains why they went out and preached, because they really believed he was raised from the dead, even though he wasn't, but he was in, in their minds. Um, and th- that theory, by the way, really took the world by storm in the 1800s in Europe. A neo-orthodoxy, because they can, people, theologians like this can say things about the resurrection like they believe it, but they don't realize, they don't believe the physical resurrection. They believe the resurrection took place in their minds. So when asked, right, do you believe that Jesus rose again from the dead? Such a one can say, absolutely. Right, he rose from the dead in the minds of the disciples. And that is a, a theory that is, is much. So William Barclay has written many commentaries uh, good, helpful commentaries. Uh, he's an ancient historian who knows really well. I remember reading his autobiography once, and he, he said this. He said he doesn't believe the bodily resurrection of Christ. He said, I'd always had difficulty in repeating the Apostles' Creed, for there were items which I could not hold, like I believe in the resurrection of the dead. But Bartley continues that a big breakthrough came when he realized that in the Apostles' Creed, the wording was not, I believe, in God the Father Almighty, but we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And he said, when I'm reciting the creed, I'm not claiming that all of this is without exception my personal belief, but I am stating this is the church's belief, which, of course, I can do. You see the gymnastics he's doing. So he can say, yes, we believe in the resurrection from the dead, although himself not believing it, just playing word games. But that is, that's another theory. There are other theories, right? Some say that he resurrected only as a spirit, sort of a ghost, kind of like on, on the way up to heaven. Like Jehovah's Witnesses believe that. But that, that defeats the whole thing about Jesus eating and them touching him and, and talking with him and interacting. Some say the resurrection account is entirely fiction, added on years after Jesus died. Well, if that's the case, then you throw away all of Acts, and right, you throw away all the gospel accounts as mere fictitious stories, and it, that doesn't it doesn't make sense. Some say the body of Jesus was discarded from the cross and thrown in a pit, along with other executed victims. Therefore, there was no way to claim a body because there was no body there. But all of that just denies just the reality of the gospel accounts. Well, Philip Schaff wrote this. He said, the Christian church rests on the resurrection of its founder. Without this fact, the church could never have been born, or if born, it would have died a natural death. The miracle of the resurrection and the existence of Christianity are so closely connected that they must stand or fall together. The miracle of the resurrection and the existence of Christianity are so connected they must stand or fall together. You disprove the resurrection 
and you disprove Christianity. That's what Shaw continues in this quote. He says, if Christ was raised from the dead, then all his other miracles are sure. And our faith is impregnable. If he was not raised, he died in vain, and our faith is in vain. It was only his resurrection that made his death available for our atonement, justification, and salvation. Without the resurrection, his death would be the grave of our hopes. We should still be unredeemed and under the power of our sins. A gospel of a dead Savior would be a contradiction and wretched delusion. This is the reasoning of Paul. Hence, force is irresistible. Just read 1 Corinthians 15, 13 to 19. The resurrection of Christ, therefore, as Philip Schaff, the historian, says, emphatically is a test question upon which depends the truth or falsehood of the Christian religion. It is either the greatest miracle or the greatest delusion which history records. The greatest miracle or the greatest delusion. Josh McDowell said the same, same thing after more than 700 hours of studying the subject and thoroughly investigating its foundation. I've come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men or is the most fantastic fact of history. It's either the, the worst, most terrible hoax or the greatest, most fabulous fact. And you can't, you can't be between that. Because either he rose from the dead or he didn't. And these first deniers, here the religious elite, were only the first of many to come. And there's still many around today who deny that. Well, let's go. The first priority. This is the last portion of my text. And I'll go quickly here. The eleven disciples, verse 16, went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Now, Jesus had told them, this is the march to Galilee, Jesus had told them that, that they need to go there. There are several times, you can, you can look them up in, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 32, Jesus said, after I've been raised from the dead, I will go before you to Galilee. And in, and in chapter 28, verse 7, we see the, the angel saying, go to Galilee. It says, go to Galilee. And there indeed he met them. There was this rendezvous of the 11 disciples going to Galilee into this mountain which Jesus had directed them. I, I think this mountain in Galilee, Jesus spent a lot of time in Galilee. It wasn't a, an unfamiliar place. He, he kind of roamed around. He probably had his favorite parks, his favorite place, just like Gethsemane, the favorite park, a favorite place for Jesus. That's why Judas um, knew where he was there in Gethsemane. That's why he could lead the cohort of everybody there because he knew, oh, yeah, I know where Jesus is going to be. He's going to be right there where we always meet. And in Galilee, oh, yeah, I know where Jesus is going to be. It's going to be right there in Galilee where we always meet. And verse 17 records what happened when they saw him. They worshipped him. Their reaction was just like the, the women who first encountered Jesus at the, the empty tomb. They came up and held both of his feet and they worshipped him. And so likewise, these disciples. And what's very interesting here is no indication that Jesus refused their worship. When you read through, whether it's Acts 10 or, or Revelation 19, you see angels and people saying, Don't do that, I'm just a man. But Jesus here is being worshipped and he freely receives the worship. And I, I think in some sense the disciples here worshipped him so freely because the first time they understood or embraced in a, in a larger way just who this Jesus is. Yes, they saw the miracles, but this was the biggest miracle of them all, him raising from the dead, even bigger than seeing lame walk and blind see. He saw this. But even in their worship, there were some doubts. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You guys say, well, what, what kind of doubts are we talking about? Are we talking about doubts of, of not 
not believing. I think there was a struggle of doubts of not believing. I think some regards, though, it's doubts of, um, of just trying to grasp it all. Like, I think the gospel is such good news, it's difficult to believe how good a news that is. And here Jesus is risen from the dead. What, what great news that is. I remember when I surprised my family coming out from California, my, my wife, Yvonne, surprised her sister one time flying out to California. And uh, she was about to have a baby, and she was calling up Yvonne, asking lots of questions. And, and even she said, I think, I wish you could be out here. And so Yvonne's like, okay, oh, I wish I could be out there too, Yvonne, uh, uh, Janelle, and hang up the phone. And then she said, I'd really like to go, Steve, is that okay? And so we arranged this whole secret thing where she could fly out there, um, kind of tried to time it just right so she could uh, just, just show up. And uh, we found out that she was induced labor on a Monday morning, and Yvonne left our house on Monday afternoon. And, and we just said we're not going to answer the phone at all until, you know, Yvonne is down on the ground. She got, she got down and still no phone call. And after she landed, then she told me, um, I got a call from Janelle. And she said, yeah, we had a baby, had a little, little baby boy. And I said, well, I'd put Yvonne on the phone, but she's not come home yet. She's still out. And uh, obviously she was in California at this time. And uh, then Yvonne called her and said, <laughs> he said, oh, I wish I could be there. I wish I could see the baby. And then 10 minutes later, she was right there. And, and Janelle was so shocked. She's like, what? What's happening here? What's happening? And I remember the testimony. She said, wow, 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 wow. And I think there's some doubt there about what's going on. Like, is this really real? Is this happening? Is this... And I think a lot of that's happening with the disciples because people just don't rise from the dead. But here Jesus rose from the dead and there was, there was worship there and yet there was, is this really real? Is this really happening? And they're pinching themselves. Is this, is this real? I'm trying to remove all, all doubt away. But, but, I, but I think about this. Why did Matthew include this doubt? Unless he was trying to be honest. I mean, this, this was a... A book trying to just totally persuade, oh yeah, the disciples totally believed. Well, there was some doubt there as well. And I think Matthew puts that in there for encouragement to us, is that we who maybe have some doubts of the resurrection of Christ, or we maybe who like believe it but, but don't because we don't understand everything, I think it comes as an encouragement to us. That yes, Jesus did raise from the dead. And it is difficult. And even those who, who saw him some, some doubt was there. It's difficult to believe that people raised. In fact, it's, it's impossible to believe. Jesus even said that, that salvation with men, salvation is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So God can help us to understand and God can see. And so be comforted in your doubts and difficulties. Be comforted that, that any doubts you have, just don't be content in them, but to say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. As the man said with the, the son who needed healed. There was the march to Galilee, and they got there, and they worshipped him. And then here is really the march to the world. This is where the whole resurrection account turns in Matthew. It's really our, our call. Jesus speaks first about his authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God gave Jesus all authority. Now, he is God, part of the, the Trinity, but there is, Romans 1, 4, the resurrection declared Jesus to be the Son of God with power. The resurrection, Acts 17, verse 31, gives him power to judge the world. 
And was the resurrection that lifted Jesus up to sit at the right hand of his heavenly Father, Psalm 110, until his enemies made a footstool for his feet. And that's all authority has been given to Jesus. That's his authority in our actions. He says, in light of my authority, here, here are your actions. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's our call. Here's our mission. Here's our first priority as a church is to make disciples. Now, the way we do it, the flavor we do that is by enjoying His grace and extending His glory, right? Enjoying the grace of God for ourselves and then extending that glory in all different ways. Teaching, making disciples, making disciples of our children, making disciples of of, of those in the the world, those others who would follow Christ. It's interesting here, those... When we hear making disciples, which is the main thrust of, of this whole uh, phrase here, our action, sometimes people can think that, oh, you become a Christian, later you become a disciple. That's just not true. Is that early Christians were called disciples. It, it, disciples is synonymous with meaning a follower of Christ, one who goes after Jesus. There's, there's not this dichotomy. A disciple is one. So he says, go and... And make disciples, make followers of me, make believers. And baptizing them, I think that just means, right, when you, you come to faith, this is the pattern of the early church, you come to faith and people are immediately baptized after that. It's just, he's talking about going out and, and seeing people, spreading the message of Christ and having them come, come to Christ. And then they, they believe and then they're baptized. And then when they're baptized, following that, then you teach them everything that you, you need to teach them. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You talk about all I've commanded you, that's it's everything that Jesus said. It's the process of what making disciples is about. So Christianity is a, it's a learning. Jesus said, come learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Our fighter verses this, this week, we've been going through those, Deuteronomy 6. We, the, the word of God, these commandments should be on our heart. And they should be in our homes. We shall teach them diligently to our children. We sit down, we rise up, we walk by the way, and we sit down. We, they should be on our hands, they should be on our foreheads, they should be in our homes. Always, right, discipling ourselves, always discipling one another, always teaching and talking about Christ. And it's all done by, by going, needing to go. You say, who's, who's going? It's, it's very interesting. When you look at the history of the church, and there was the, the stoning of Stephen, and then people dispersed. Um, do you know who dispersed? It was all the people dispersed. The people who stayed were the apostles who wanted to stay and kind of oversee things there in Jerusalem. But people just dispersed and went and scattered throughout all the region of Judea and Samaria. And do you realize that their obedience to that command is the very reason why we are here this Sunday morning, 2,000 years after the resurrection of Christ? Because people went to go. They went out and spoke with people. And so likewise, it is our, our call to go out and speak with people and and see them come to Christ and see them believe and, and teach them and, and train them. And then Jesus gives us the assurance, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And there's just the assurance of the resurrection that Jesus is alive and well. He's with us in this task. As we seek to be a, a faithful body of believers here at Rock Valley Bible Church at Lost Park, Illinois. May the resurrection be the thing that, that changes us and transforms us, empowers us, and realize this is the end of the resurrection. The resurrection's true, therefore we need to go and make disciples. And if we're not doing this, it's because 
maybe we're not believing the resurrection as well as we should. We need God's grace in that matter. What a great Lord's Day this has been. Let me just close our time in a, in a word of prayer. Father, I would pray, God, in your kindness that you would show us Christ. That we sing of the resurrection, we profess to believe the resurrection, God, as much as we can. But I pray, God, this Sunday as we reflect upon thoughts today, as we perhaps as a family finish out our, our reading by reading together as a family, Matthew 28. God, stir us afresh the, the genuine reality of the, the resurrection of Christ. Father, I would pray that it would empower all of our discipleship here at, at church, God, especially in the families, that it might be fathers and mothers teaching their, their children, talking of the scriptures, talking of the Lord and the wonderful things that you have done, posting scriptures, sinking them deep into our hearts. Father, may this Resurrection Sunday be a time that changes us, transforms us, leads us into greater devotion to you. And and where there are doubts, Father, I pray that you would come in and cast those away. God, that we would believe you and trust you entirely. God, with all of our hearts, for all of our lives, we pray this in Christ's name.